0: This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. I told them the only place to get them took and they have a seasonal limited edition offering It's right now this spring and summer including men's and women's boots apparel hats accessory and more My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday in case you've seen me many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized and with regular live music and events there's no in-store experience quite like it if you can't make it into the store just visit tecovas.com that's tecoba scom they offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and they ship right to your door Go to dacovus.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything guys, it's that there's always a catch. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above forty gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show. I'm going to dive deep into the welterweight division and some big news that came out on Wednesday. That's later. But first, I want to take a moment to tell you about one of our sponsors, Athletic Greens. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. Summer has officially started, which means time off relaxation, and vacation mode for some of us. This does not mean to get relaxed with your nutrition. Athletic Greens is helping me stay on point with healthy nutritional habits. One scoop of this daily all-in-one superfood powder contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral probiotic green superfood blend and more they all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet increase energy and focus help with digestion and support a healthy immune system all without the need to take multiple products what a relief athletic greens is my one-stop shop for it all guys it's simple it's easy for you athletes out there this product is NSF-certified for sport. It's lifestyle-friendly. Whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste, Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, these travel packs will come in handy for your summer travels so whether you or your family member are looking for peak performance or better health covering your bases with athletic greens makes investing in your energy immunity and gut health simple each day it's also tasty and efficient simply visit athleticgreens.com and join the athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Oh, breaking headline news. Hosmet Shemayev reportedly has turned down a fight with Luke Rockhold. Now, let's start over. Because all the information I have is the headline. Hosmet Chemayev has turned down a headlining spot against Luke Rockholt. The reason I bring in the word headlining. I read the article also. I read the article. There was no quotes from Chemayev. There was no quotes from Rockholt. We don't have a lot more than that headline. But there's a couple of details in the headline. Was it Luke Rockholt? Maybe. Fighting Luke Rockhold also tells us the weight class, 185. Is that what he did it like? Maybe. The word that stuck out for me was headline, meaning main event, meaning five rounds. I have always been of the mind that Chemayev, as much as I love the experiment, as much as I love the anybody float two weight classes, do it as quick as possible, I love everything about this gimmick. He's coming back from a very serious case, a very public case of covid where he did not know if he would ever fight again, did not know if he could ever even train again. He was having respiratory issues. It struck me at the time when this guy comes back, he needs to be responsible because it's very hard to do. When you're living a character and that character has caught on, it's very hard, man. You'll protect that. You'll protect that identity with anything you can do. It's very responsible for him to step in and go, guys, Everything you're saying is cool. I got to have three rounds. I just went through something. I could barely even breathe, and that was without working out. I was sitting perfectly still. I was laying in bed, and I could barely breathe. I got to have three rounds. I just, I, I remember thinking that. I remember reading what he was going through and thinking, when he comes back, he needs to be cautious to not go on a main event. Now, I do not believe that we should grade him down for that, and I'll tell you why. He's never done a main event before. He's never headlined a show before, so it would be a step up. Coming back from an ailment and stepping up. It's one of those things, right? I mean, if he was a main event guy or if he was even the champion and he wasn't going out and he wasn't defending it, look, we got to strip him. It can be very cold. There's a pandemic. If you didn't defend and you're a champion, it's cold then. We're stripping you. He was not a main eventer before. He was scheduled for a main event with Liam, but he never actually went out and did it. There's a relevance to the point that I'm making. There is a relevance. He is not stepping down. He is not not defending. He is not not returning to a main event. He's never done a main event. He doesn't need to step in. I'm guessing right now, right? All I've got is this headline. But the thing that stuck out for me was headline. The headlining spot, me a main event for five rounds. Now, the other side of the coin, how about a little credit to Luke Rockhold? The article didn't say that Luke turned the fight down, which would lead me to believe that Luke accepted the fight. And I think that's very on brand for Luke Rockholt. I mean, Luke accepts some really hard fights all the time. He goes up to 205 pounds. He takes on Blahovich, who turns out to be the best 205 b- uh, pounder in the world. he wants to come back. They offer him Chemayev, which was probably somebody's way of making Luke flinch. And Luke didn't flinch. Said, yeah, give me Chemayev. Give me five rounds. I mean, that's a stud move right there. Luke Rockholt deserves some credit. I think he rubs some of you guys the wrong way. I think that he does. He's a competitor. He's a dirty, gritty, grimy competitor that isn't afraid to do some heavy lifting, and he just happens to have a nice smile. I mean, in all fairness, he just happens to be a charming-looking guy. But behind those fancy clothes sits a dirty, rotten cage fighter, and he deserves to have credit for it. If he stepped up to Chemayev, some of you might look the other way. Well, Chemayev was stepping up to him or refused to step up to him because Luke was the former champion. If you step up to Chemayev, who's got a hell of a reputation, a beautiful record... A very big name, we're told is only one win away at 170 from being the number one contender at 170. I realize I'm going back in time a little bit. I realize that was November, December, October-ish when he was lined up with Leon. That's two hammers right there. I can't fault Chemayev, you know? And I, I don't like when somebody says, no, I think if you're going to run your mouth, you got to go back it up. I don't know that he need. I just, I don't think it was responsible. I think what he's done here is responsible. And I tend to think I'm right. Uh, like, if one of the matchmakers calls Shemayev and goes, hey, by the way, let's do everything we talked about doing, but we'll, we'll just put you in a co-main event spot. I bet you he says yes. That's a guess. That's a prediction. But I would predict for you he would do it. I think it's the five rounds. Because of what he just went through, I can't fault him there. And I do got to give Rock Holt some credit. I mean, that's some heavy lifting, as for usual, big risk, low return. You got all of these guys that have a little number next to their name, somewhere on a .com, that won't go out and fight Jemayev because he also doesn't have a number next to his name, somewhere on a .com. Luke Rockhold is a former world champion. Doesn't appear that He complained. So Hazmat Shemaya is one of the top guys fighting at 170 and this week There's a couple other guys at 170 that are worth talking about. Oh Wonderboy Thompson Bless his heart. He really is. He is such a sweet guy. I mean if fighters had ratings like movies Wonderboy wouldn't even be PG. He would be G. This guy is such a wonderful guy He looks at the business very different Than other people and that's why I say he's a sweet guy, right? You've heard the expression nice guys finish last Well, I'm sure you could imagine in in cage fighting The expression is on steroids, right? The expression is true in life in general. It's injected straight in the ass like it was Chael Son in 2007 I mean, I'm just telling you right now Here's what he did, okay? Let's back up. Do you remember the night that Usman beat Burns. Usman beat Burns, and Wonderboy put out a tweet. And this is off the top of my head. I have not seen this since the night it came out, but I have a feeling if you go back in the timeline, I get you 99 to 100% there, and he said, I am the only guy in the top five who has not fought Usman yet, period. So I guess I'm next, period. Congrats on the performance, champ. Exclamation point. And it was just such a sweet, it was such a sincere, I mean, he wanted to congratulate Kamara who won. He wanted everyone to, and his logic isn't that bad. The top five does, make. talk about the top 10 all the time, but you can break the top down down to the top five. He was the only guy in the top five who had not been given the opportunity. Like his logic wasn't bad. So I guess I'm next. I can live with the whole thing. I don't know if I'd have remembered it. I don't know that I'd be talking to you about it. If he left out the one-syllable, two-letter word of so. So, I guess I'm next. That's what made it a G-rated statement. I'm next. We're having a totally different conversation. I'm the only guy in the top five that hasn't fought him yet. I'm next. Good job tonight, champ. Totally different. He put the word so in there. That's what a nice guy would say. So I guess I'm next. Like it's a, but hold the thought because Wonder Boy came out today and he was giving some nice, kind advice, as you would expect to get from Wonder Boy, to Nate Diaz. And the advice was Nate should go down to 155 pounds. Hold the thought, why? Now, Wonder Boy would be able to answer that. If he was here right now, he would be able to answer that. He would support the notion that Nate should go to 155 by looking at the rankings, looking at the potential matchups, looking at the path that could get Nate quickest to a championship. I don't accept any of those. Okay? Goal setting 101. Whatever your goal is, that is a dream. That is largely a fantasy. That is your ultimate wish that's realistic, right? Not not, not. I wake up uh, and I'm on Mars tomorrow. A, a real... Realistic, obtainable thing, but it is your dream. Then what do you do? You set a whole bunch of little goals to get there. You want to be the world champion. Start at the bottom. Get into a practice room. Get into an environment. Find teammates. Find coaches. Show up every day. Get a little extra work in. going to set your alarm clock a half hour early for school, and you're going to get two miles in while the rest of the kids are sleeping. I mean, do you see where this goes? You're gonna get noticed, you're gonna get signed. How are you gonna do that? Because you're gonna get media, you're gonna build your social reputation. You have all of these little goals. What Nate does so well is the little goals, okay? If you want to be the world champion, that's up here. You gotta get signed, you gotta work hard, you gotta get attention. But everything in this sport is a competition, everything. And if you try to go right to the finals, which is, I'm going to get a championship match and I'm going to beat that guy more rounds than he beats me, best of five. You're never going to get there. If you show up to a press conference, you have to be ready to compete. You should be keeping track. That guy's got two questions, I've got none yet. He's up two to none. You have to compete for everything. I can remember being at press conferences. I generally didn't have that problem. I don't say that to shine my own wheels. Most of the questions came to me, but I was at one one time where St. Pierre was up there. I'm on the same desk as the greatest of all time and he's fielding a lot of questions. I pulled out my phone. I started texting people in the audience, ask me this, ask me this, ask until those questions came in, but we're competing. You think I just cheated, but okay, fine, I did. I don't think it's a cheat. You think I can live with it. I didn't lose. Because I was competing. Then you start looking at pay-per-views. You start looking at live audience. You start looking at placement on the card. You start looking at rankings. You start looking at who's getting the most headlines. Who's selling the most t-shirts. All of these things matter. All of them. They all go in line with who's going to get the world opportunity. Vince McMahon will gauge who's going to headline WrestleMania on who sold the most merchandise that year. Did you guys know that? The headline act of WrestleMania, which is guaranteed a million dollars. Guaranteed, you can make more than that. You, If you headline Mania, you are getting a million dollar bonus that's known within the business and it's been true for over two decades. Whoever sold the most dolls and t-shirts and video games and posters, whatever merchandise WWE has, whoever sold the most, Vince identifies as the most popular and puts in the main event of his biggest show of the year. So all these aren't Chael's rules, I'm sharing with you as somebody who has observed and studied the sport more beyond just the punches and kicks, what it takes to get there. You have to achieve those little goals. You have to get yourself to the press conference. Again, I'll just personalize it, but I had a time where I wasn't getting invited to the press conferences. I figured out whose role that was to decide who's coming and book the plane tickets and I started lighting them up. I started sending them text messages. I want to be up there. I deserve to be up there. You give me two minutes on a microphone, I'll make your mouth drop. And they, she, it was a female, finally, oh, go to the press conference, just quit texting me. Brought me to every single press conference for the rest of my career since. But that's a little goal, and you have to observe that it starts somewhere. What Nate Diaz is a master of is the small stuff. Nate is not looking to be champion. He's not looking for a championship fight. He's looking for a big fight. He's not looking for a ranking next to his name. He's looking to make sure he is on the pay-per-view. He is not looking for an enemy. He is looking for an extra comma and an extra zero on the paycheck. He's playing a different game. I only bring that to you because it's working pretty well for him. And of all the advice that's out there that you might want to take, That's pretty damn good advice. And I see managers, I see fighters, I see guys get this wrong all the time, where they find some reason not to do it. Here's why I shouldn't do it. I will tell you, every single day before practice, I could name a hundred reasons why I did not want to go to practice. You gotta find that one reason to go. It's just a game you have to play with yourself every single day. But Nate Diaz is a master of the small stuff. Coming up in a moment, I'll talk about Nate Diaz's older brother. But before we get there, I wanna tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest e-counseling platform. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Guys, be honest i got to be transparent too. I've been there at times. I've struggled in these areas and i got to get through it too. BetterHelp is a great online therapy and counseling platform that allows you to reach out for help from the privacy of your own home. This isn't a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. You can start communicating with a professional counselor in under 48 hours. That's good news for some of us who need help immediately. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in your area, especially if you're in a state still shut down because of the pandemic. This service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhealth.com slash and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional BetterHelp is offering my listeners 10% off your monthly service, so don't hesitate to go and get the help you need. Visit BetterHelp.com. That's p.com slash Sonnen to get started. Guys, let's talk welterweights. Let's talk Nick Diaz specifically, okay? I do not, and Chael Sonnen, I do not like to get played. And I don't like to fall for it. And I like to always think... Anytime a guy says something, if he's a hustler, then he's negotiating. Period. He's always got another move. The Diaz brothers are brilliant. I just believe it's unintentional. I don't think there's a strategy. I don't think there's a plan. I think it just works. I think. Or they're so good... That that's part of the gimmick and it's very hard to tell. Okay, let's talk about Nick. Nick has been talking about talking and meeting about meaning and training to train, keeping his name out there, making some cameos. If I did that, if I were Nick and I did everything in the world in the fight business except fight, I'm doing it because I'm playing a different game. I'm either just auditioned for a movie role and I'm trying to get my name out there. I put my name in for a commercial. My sponsorship contract with X company is up and I want them to extend it. I'm getting ready to write a book and I need my name out there in media opportunities, right? But if I, if I come out and I start leveraging the MMA community and the MMA media, but I don't really go out there and fight, then I'm playing a different game. I'm doing something else. Now, that would be Strategic. I don't believe that Nick Diaz is strategic, but that's where I might be wrong. This guy might be smarter than I give him credit. I give him credit for being good. And I'm talking about for marketing, getting his name out there. I was just at the Phoenix show. I happened to be there live. They did a cameo. They threw to Nick. It was the loudest eruption of the arena. And I there was some surprise eruptions. Like they threw it to Justin Gaethje. That place went way louder than I thought the group would go for Justin Gage. I even made a call and told someone that. I go, you're not going to believe the reception Gaethje got. And the guy in the other end goes, well, he's actually from Arizona. I go, oh, that's right, that's right. I'm just sharing with you. I was gauging these things. When Nate Diaz finally appears, walking out of the locker room, he's got the hood. This place went crazy. When Izzy Adesanya pops out of the locker room, and you guys remember he had the hat on, he had the mask, right? He looked pretty damn cool. Everything I just told you, they threw to Kelvin Gaslam. The place blew up. Everything they threw to Triple C, who's also from Arizona, two-time champion, plus the Olympic hero, huge receptions. None of them touched Nick Diaz, period. This isn't a, okay, how was your hearing out? Let's hear that again. Nothing touched when they just threw the camera on Nick. It pops up on the, all he was doing was standing there. That place went crazy. So we have several pieces here, okay? We have an athlete who says he wants to fight in a promotion of which he is signed and a promoter who says I will offer him a fight. But we have no fight. I can only tell you if that were me, I'm playing a different game. I am messing with all of you and I am negotiating Something different that I need my name hot for a period to do. But I can't begin to guess what that would be with Nick. Nick is not going to go write a book. Nick is not about to go on a seminar tour through Europe. Nick is not interested in building social media or extending a contract. If Nick has a sponsorship contract, which it's been five years since he competed, he may not. But if he does, the mere fact that he got a louder reception than the world champion will get him that extension, right? He doesn't need to play a game. But it appears that he is. It appears that he is. Look, there's great fights out there right now. Nick was very open with the audience years ago, and he had a great line that I've never forgot because the truth will set you free, and Nick merely told the truth, and this is a quote, and he said, I'm not interested in getting in there and jumping around with these young guys. He called it jumping around, it was funny. A lot of other people now use that term, it's a good line, but I remember it and he told us the truth. It was as close of a clue as he's ever given us as to what he's looking for. But we have Matt Brown, we can get Damian Maya. we have Carlos content. we can get, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? That options are there. And as hot as Dana would have been on the idea of having Nick come back, as open to Dana would have been and excited about it, I can assure you that Dana heard what I heard. Dana's aware that a microcosm known as the arena and the reception received for one person Louder than the world champion, louder than the hometown hero that has an Olympic gold medal, louder than a top contender who was born there. He's going to get that guy a fight if that guy really wants to fight. And now Nick was doing an interview today, and it may not have been Nick, it might have been Cesar Gracie. But between the two, Team Nick, that Nick's next fight might not be in the UFC, it might be in boxing. Now that's the first open troll move that they've made. Every move they've made until now, every piece that they've moved on the board fits in line, headed towards the same direction, until that one, that was a troll move. They will not be boxing. We know that because contractually and legally, they can't box. And we also know policy-wise of Dana White who just stopped George St. Pierre from doing that very thing, it's without the policy. And that's not a new policy. Dana doesn't have to, and Scott Coker falls in this too. They don't have to let their guys go do any kind of competitions. By policy, they both allow their guys to compete. And Dana went as far as to clarify that in saying, you can do anything you want. You can go find yourself a baseball game and get paid for it if you want. You cannot do anything that involves a strike. I will not let my commodity potentially be damaged. Okay. But now we all understand, right? This, this isn't a new phenomenon. This wouldn't be Dana pushing Nick into a court. This policy has been around, this goes back about seven years, eight years. So that was a troll move. It was the first troll move. But I can't help but look at this story and wonder, are we being trolled? When you think of the Diaz brothers, you think of dollar signs. Fighter pay is always a touchy subject in our sport. And I've got some thoughts on it for you guys today. You guys remember Sean Shirk? Total stud. Sean Shirk, one of the great 55-pounders ever. But one of the more interesting exits from the sport ever. Like, Sean Shirk stopped doing the sport and just didn't tell anyone <laughs> like he was gone for like two years and then people started talking where's sean never any, he never said he never said say la vie he said nothing and about two years in conversation starts where's sean he never speaks up to say where he is almost another year goes by it's like three years in and sean finally puts out a statement I, I don't do that anymore i'm retired it, I, but he was the world champion or he was right there for the champ. I think Sean had a championship, but now that I'm saying it, now that I'm saying it, yeah, he was the interim champion. Sean had the belt. <sighs> Leaves the sport. Three years go by before he tells anybody I'm not coming back. It was just very interesting. I always liked it because he was never looking for anything. He was never seeking attention. He could have got it. He could have got it plenty of times. I did this for this part of my life and now I've moved on and I've done this. And he st- I want to say he started a flooring company. I think he's back in Minnesota. That part of the story, I'm very close, but the point is the way that he exited. And I have great memories with Sean. Been with him a number of times, could have gotten along better, but we cut weight in Asana together. And there's a few things as men, and I mean humans, that will bond you. Cutting weight and helping each other through a weight cut is one of those things. We met in Asana, basement of the MGM Grand. It was the hardest weight cut of my life. I got a call to fight Dan Miller in 21 days, which meant the fight would be in 20 days. Joe Silva calls, I accept the fight, but I'm driving to the gym. So I get to the gym, I go right into the bathroom, I strip and get on the scale. So first thing I do, I'm 222.2. The weight is 185, pound allowance 186. I got to lose 36.2 pounds and normally I wouldn't tell you about the t- uh, the point two. In this case, the point two mattered. Thirty six point two pounds in twenty days. It's physically the most trying, and possibly mentally, the most trying thing that I have ever been through in terms of uh, physical. Where you get, you got to be tough, and you got to be focused, and you got to do it just you said you would. Okay. But that was the time I ran into Sean Shirk. Sean was in the sauna. He's getting ready to fight Frankie Yeager. He's getting some weight off. I'm getting some weight off. So we start conversation. And the whole reason, as bad as hard as it is to talk when you're in that state of mind, it's the one thing that'll allow time to go by. You know, if you're if you're going in the sauna, ten minutes in, five minutes out, ten minutes in, five minutes out. That's a very common, but that'll work its way down to where it's five minutes in, five minutes out, five minutes in, ten minutes out. I mean, where you're hurting so bad in anything you can do to pass the time. At any rate, this is my relationship with Sean, but we hit it off. We you know, visit back and forth as we're dragging in there. I share that with you because this is not a kick Sean Shirk session. I really like Sean Shirk, but Sean Shirk came out with a statement and I can't let it slide. I can't let it go and I'll tell you why. I've heard a number of guys say that and they're not wrong on its face. As soon as you start to peel that onion apart, the argument has big problems. Here's what Sean said. Sean was talking about the payment of fighters in the UFC uh, specifically. And he said they should be embarrassed for what they pay their fighters. Now, Sean was well known from a financial standpoint because it gets reported. He fought Matt Hughes. Sean got $35,000 for that fight. Matt got a quarter million. So a very big discrepancy for two guys that have gone out and done the same thing. And if you view it like that, you're you're going to see where the argument comes. If I was to insert myself in this, first time I fought Anderson Silva, I don't know what he made, but I know he made seven figures plus. I believe he made several million because of how big uh, the pay-per-view did. I got 35 grand. My contract was for 35 and 35. That was the deal. That's what we agreed on. We just Save all of these pieces. I promise I'm going to tie them together. Just stay with me here. A week ago, Francis Sangano had come out publicly in a tweet talking about Jake Paul having made $25 million to box and asked a question to the audience, what are we doing wrong? Question mark. Days before that, Paulo Acosta cost himself a main event fight because he didn't believe that he had a level of participation that he deserved. Now, both Francis and Paulo have since stopped. Somebody got a hold of them and explained something to them. I hope it appears that way. Whenever this argument is made, okay, let's slow down and look at that just from Francis' perspective. But Francis is a fighter. Here's what he makes. Jake, Paul went and did a fight who is not as skilled or as sparrows as Francis, but here's what he made. Why are they different? And it will never stop where somebody attempts to compare their job to somebody else's job. Do you guys golf? Have any of you golfed? Uh, most of your hands just went up. Somewhere, you, you played 9 holes, you played 18 holes, but if you didn't, do you know someone who golfed? Okay, all of your hands just went up. When you golfed, did you make what Tiger Woods made when he golfs? Did you expect to make what Tiger Woods made when he golfed? Do you instantly see the silliness of me even asking you that question? You doing one thing and comparing it to somebody who did another thing. John Jones had started this for a while. He said, I'm a professional athlete. Here's what I make. But my brothers are professional athletes and here's what they make. And you kind of scratch your head going, they're doing one job on one agreed upon contract and you're doing another job on an agreed upon contract. What if there's a third brother, okay? And what if he's a head fund manager? Should you make what he makes just because he's your brother? I mean, that was the argument. The argument wasn't the sport to the sport, the NFL to the UFC. The argument was, these are my brothers. What if your brother's a head fund manager? Should you make what he makes? What if you have a brother who's a grocer? Should you make what he makes? I mean, do you, do you see the difference in this? And the argument always is told, and it only goes one way, which is forward. The first guy that we're going to listen to and go, wow. We got a Jimmy Hoffa in the group. We got a real leader here. Is the guy that steps forward with this argument, but he goes backwards? Had Francis Sangano came out and said, "You know what? I was paid five hundred thousand dollars to fight Stepe." Johnny over here was the third fight of the night. He weighed in four minutes before me. We actually were on the airplane together, and I ran into him in the hotel hallway. He's three doors down. We have literally done the exact same thing, and Johnny only got twenty grand. Why am I being paid a half a million when he's getting 20 grand? You owe me 20 grand. This job is worth 20 grand. He and I did the same. He actually went 15 minutes. Did you see his fight? I was only out there for seven and a half. Come to think of it, I should get 10 grand. You see the problem? It's the exact same argument, but it never goes the other way. It only goes in one direction. And as I look at it with Sean Shirk, okay, what Sean was talking about, and it also ties in to Paulo Costa. You have a promoter. Forget about your deal. Forget about what you agreed on. You have a promoter. You chose that promoter, hopefully not because you were a whore and went to the biggest bidder, but because you saw something that this guy could offer you in terms of opportunity. So when the promoter sees said opportunity and he plugs you into the highest possible spot that he can, which is 100% his job and why you trusted and went with him in the first place, you now believe you've outpriced the contract. He can stick you on the first card of the night. You can be the opponent of Johnny, who was the third fight of the night for Francis and got 20 grand. Not a terrible payday, but if you want Francis's spot, which is at the top of the card, it's going to pay 20 times as much. That's the business. But nobody ever argues it this way, right? Truth is up and down. It's inside and out. It's not at times. That's why I bring this to you. If it's true... Going forward, it has to be true the other way. If it's not, it's not true. Very basic logic. Whenever I see these types of things, or the attempt to compare yourself to somebody else or your job to somebody else's, when I hear a narrative out there, which is three things, fighters are underpaid, fighters are being exploited, fighters are not being paid enough. When I hear those three terms, if you go to something known as Google, And you type those exact words in, any one of those three phrases. Fighters are being exploited. Fighters are underpaid. Fighters aren't being paid enough. You can't date that back prior to the time that Dana White said it. That's the great irony of this. The person who believes fighters were exploited and fighters weren't paid enough is Dana. And they're now trying to use the same argument that he brought forward... And act as though he is doing something wrong. Guys, I will buy you two tickets. This is straight up. I will buy two tickets for the first person that proves me wrong. That proves to me somebody else came forward and thought fighters should be treated in a different way than they're currently being treated. The guy that said the statement is the guy that came in and fixed it and started treating them different. I will buy you second deal. That deal's good. Second deal. I will buy two tickets to win a UFC. And if I'm buying them, by the way, you're sitting in some damn good seats, all right? Two tickets to anyone. When I first fought in the UFC, the year was 2005. I was paid $2,000 to show and $2,000 to win. I could not believe how much money I had in my pocket when I got that check. I could not. I took, I checked my, every, I, I walked 10 steps and I take it out to make sure like it hadn't mysteriously fallen out or like there was a hole in the wall and a hole in my pants and it fell down my leg. I swear to God, I, I pulled that, I kept checking to make sure that check was okay. $2,000 in 2005. The minimum pay right now is $12,000, the minimum pay. Now, I had the minimum in 2005, stay with me, of 2000. The minimum now is six times as much. I will give two tickets to anybody who shows me any company in the world that is paying six times right now than what it paid a mere 15 years ago. I don't give a damn, I know you won't find one on the Fortune 500, You're not going to find it at McDonald's. You're not going to find it at Chevron, Microsoft, Apple, Tesla. Great companies. You're not going to find it there. I don't give a damn if it's your brother's barber shop. If you can prove to me that they pay a minimum of six times what they paid a mere 15 years ago, I will get you two spectacular tickets to any UFC you would like to attend. Before I head out for a weekend, there's another big fight in the UFC's heavyweight division on Saturday, and I'm really excited about it. My official prediction for Gong versus Volkov. You want to know what a coach did to me one time? We finished wrestling practice, and the coach is talking to the group, Roy Pittman. And he's in front of the group, and the Super Bowl's coming up. This is Friday after practice. Super Bowl's going to be in Sunday. And he, he goes around the room and asks each guy who's going to win. So all of us kids, everybody's giving their opinion. I remember it was the Broncos playing somebody. And the Broncos versus the Bengals. Was, was that ever a Super Bowl? So when he's all done, he tells us he knows who is going to win. We all lean for, my God. And if Coach, if Coach Pittman told you something, that was it. So if he says he knows who's going to win, we all lean, oh, my God, Coach knows who's going to win. He's sure of it. He's positive. Do you want to know? We all say, yeah. He says, do you really want to know? Do you want me to spoil it for you? He builds this up with, yeah, please. He says, I assure you, whoever has more points when time runs out, that's who's going to win. And he never broke character. He never smiled beyond this. He was dead he was dead serious. And it turned out he was right, right? I mean another another one for Coach Pittman. But when you break down Gong and Volkov. In many ways, i got to defer back to what Coach Pittman said, whoever has more points when time runs out, because this is a very similar fight. Anytime you talk about Volkov, it's going to be very boring and lazy because you're going to talk about his reach advantage. Anytime you talk about Gong, it's going to be very boring and lazy because you're going to talk about power if he gets inside and just hits you one time. It's one of these things. However, I feel there's a little bit more to the story. These guys both prefer to strike over anything else. And Volkov, I was late to the party. Now, I'm a believer. I'm a, I'm, I'm a believer on Volkov, but I wasn't. He looks gangly out there. He looks awkward out there. If you can get to his hips, you're probably going to get him down to the mat. He has a hard time, once he's on the mat, mounting an offense. He does. He has a hard time. I get that he's good with triangles. I get that he's good with guillotines. But he has a hard time setting some of those things up, and he has a more difficult time getting an underhook, getting to an opposite hip, scrambling, and getting back up to his feet. So if the, mat, if the fight ever hits the mat, you generally go, okay, well, we're done for this round. He's not going to get up. And historically, I'm right. That's generally what happens. But he knows what I just said is true. And he is working on that. And you do see improvements, right? You do see, Curtis Blades would be a fine example. You see improvements where he's doing a better job and by no means is Gong great on top. That's just not where he wants to be. So anything that you've seen of Volkov in the past where he gets his hips sucked in and he gets taken down and then he's stuck there for the round, I think you got to throw it out. I mean, i got to as far as groundwork goes and be able to mount an offense and execute some of the things that you worked on in the practice room, Gong's the perfect opponent. So I'm not sure if we close our eyes and try to think back and envision what's going to happen here that we're going to have a fair depiction of what is going to happen if Gong gets on top of Volkov, which by the way, I don't even think he's going to try to do. It's not what Gong does. Okay, looks at the other side of the coin. Because Volkov can grapple a little bit, right? Don't forget, this guy's from Russia. They learn how to grapple in Russia in the school systems. You guys probably can't relate to it. When you're in the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, you're in sambo judo or wrestling as PE class throughout the entire country. So he's got some level of grappling, but he's nice and long and he prefers to stay up here. What I'm suggesting for you is it is a little bit of a different fight. It does default back, yes, to the laziness of Reach Provolkov and the inside and the power of Gong. It it, it defers back to one of those very lazy and basic narratives. But Gong's not afraid to get in there and mix it up. And he's got some more tools than just a kickboxer. He uses tools more of like a Muay Thai fighter because he's very good with the knees and he's very good with the elbows. You might remember the fight with Junior Dos Santos. Junior a former champion of the world, it was an elbow strike. And the elbow strike was so damn hard, Junior didn't know where he was to the point that he argued what was happening on the monitor and went and filed a complaint with the Nevada State Athletic Commission saying that it was an illegal blow. I mean, I'm only saying that's how hard he got hit. This guy is a powerhouse, but Volkov's way up here. Are you going to hit the son of a bitch? It's an interesting fight. Both of these guys, they're going to have to get to their offense, period. Right? The same as Coach Pittman says. You want to know who's going to win, whoever has more points, time runs out. It's whoever gets to their offense. One of these guys is going to take charge, and it's either gone by getting inside and doing damage and staying there, staying there. Very similar to the way Vittori had success in his fight with Adasanya, where his successful moments came as when he got within his range and he stayed busy. Same thing goes uh, the other side, though, with Volka. Much like Adesanya, when he had excess with Vittori, was keeping him at the end of the punches, not letting him inside, using that footwork and moving around. So my official prediction, I'm going to go Gong. Gong's undefeated. He's on a hell of a roll. Recently, he's got a win over a former world champion. I think that Rosenstruck, while different body type than Volkov, is the same fighter as Volkov. So in many ways, Gong has had double the training camp. He's prepared for the same guy twice stylistically? Is that a good analysis? Who the hell knows? I'm seldomly right anyway. I'm taking gong. All right, guys. That's it for today's episode. I want to thank you to all the listeners out there who continue to listen to the podcast and watch the videos on YouTube. We can't tell you how much we appreciate all the love you give us. There's more for me coming next Wednesday, but until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.